Amen. All right, give us the Revelation series title slide, please. I guess it's coming. It's not coming. Somebody tell me it's up. Okay, thank you. My wife there helps me out. All right. This sermon is about heaven. Yeah. Last Sunday, the sermon, thank you, Pastor, for bringing us that great sermon. The sermon was about hell. Came staggering back to church one more time to hear heaven. All right, give me some heaven now. So we're back in the book of Revelation. It's going to be a little while yet in the book of Revelation, but we're in chapter 21 today, if you want to turn there, and it's all about heaven. Not, not heaven as popularly conceived, not the heaven where you look like an angel, you're in a white robe, you have wings, you're floating in a cloud, endlessly plucking, 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 plucking on a harp. Not, not that heaven. Not... Not the heaven of Islam where if you do the right things, you get your harem forever and ever and ever. Not the heaven that people imagine where, like, let's say you love golf, and so for you, heaven's going to be golf. That would be the great thing about heaven is you just endlessly play golf. It's not 18 holes, it's 18 billion holes, and you play forever and ever and ever. Not that heaven. Not the heaven where you get all the goodies that you lust for and crave after. Instead, what we're looking at is the heaven of the Bible the heaven with God in it, the heaven that is all about God, the heaven where the people who go there go there because they love God and he has become the object, the central object of their adoring wonder and they've lived with passion for him and they can't wait to get to heaven to be with him. That's the heaven that we're talking about, the one where God is like, it's like if it's a circus and it's not a circus, but if it's a circus, we'll liken it to a circus. There's a big tent. What's in the big tent? Maybe the elephant, maybe the high wire act, maybe the trapeze. That's the big event. God is the big event in heaven. The heaven found in Revelation 21, that's the heaven we're talking about this morning. In the book of Revelation, John is given, John is one of Jesus' hand-picked apostles, and Jesus is giving him a series of visions. These visions, he sees things that to one degree or another uh, correspond to our reality, or in many cases they're symbolic of something else. But in chapter 1, it gets more corresponding to reality in chapter 21 than it's been most of the time. And in chapter 21, John sees heaven. He sees eternity future. He sees what's coming, and he lives to tell us about it. So we learn from the revelation, from the vision Jesus gave to John, what heaven is going to be like. Okay, you ready? Let's dive in. Verse 1, a stupendous verse, a verse that delights, a verse that grabs our attention. Revelation 21.1, John writes, then, when? After the last, the previous vision, then, here's another vision he gets, then, next, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So Jesus gives John a vision so he can share it with all of us, so we can have a glimpse of what's coming. We can have a peek into heaven, and he sees a new heaven and a new earth. Notice the term new. It's new. It's new. 
we're not going to get into the subject, is there any continuity between this earth and that earth? I tend to believe there is. Other people think, no, that that was totally done away with. A whole new one comes to be. That doesn't matter. I don't care. It's new. It's going to be a new heavens. It's going to be a new earth. We live on the old one. Whether you're young earth like me or old earth like some of you shouldn't be. Oh, well. Whether you're young earth like me or old earth, this, this earth is new. This is the old one. This is old. It's growing old. It's about to be rolled up like a scroll. It's about to be dissolved. It's about to burn in fire. But John sees a new heaven and a, a new earth. And why do we need a new heaven and a new earth? For the first heaven and the first earth, that's this one, had passed away. So in his vision, it hasn't passed away yet, not a reality, but in his vision, he sees it already done. He sees the future. He sees what it looks like after this heaven and this earth have passed away, and there's a new heaven and a new earth. And why does this one have to pass away? Because it's under God's curse. Because of what our first parents, Adam and Eve, did when they took the forbidden fruit and ate, they fell and all creation fell, and it's all been under a curse ever since. And Paul says in Romans 8, the whole earth groans waiting for, the, uh, for us, for the redemption of our bodies, because when we're raised new in Christ, the earth will be renewed in Christ. The heavens will be renewed in Christ. And so that's why we need a new one, because the old one is sagging, because the old one suffered massive ill effects of the sins of our first parents when they rebelled against God, because this one's messed up, amen? This earth is messed up. So he sees the old one passed away, and he sees a new one. Now, much of what we've seen in the book of Revelation has been symbolic, like Jesus is a lion that becomes a lamb that has seven horns. Not for real, okay? That symbolizes things, and many, many things have been symbolic, but interpreting Scripture by Scripture is how we know which part's symbolic and which part is to be real. And interpreting Scripture by Scripture, we know that he's telling us the truth here. There's a one-to-one correspondence between what he's revealing and what will be. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. So again, how do we know that? Please let me just interject here for a moment how to interpret and how not to interpret the book of Revelation. Please do not interpret by imagination. Right. A lot of people interpret by imagination. Like, there's a place in the book, and I didn't stop us there and point this out, but it says that a mountain's thrown into the sea, and about a third of the rivers are messed up, and in that same context, a third of the people on the planet die. And a very, very, very popular guy who preaches prophecy like a lot, one of you, kindly, thank you, sent me a link, and I got to read or watch or both, and he says, oh, oh, that's a nuclear bomb. All right, where do you get that out of the text? I mean, did you get that from comparing Scripture with Scripture? Did something in Ezekiel tip you off to that? Uh, Did something somewhere else tip you off? No, it's pure imagination. We do not handle Scripture that way. It's God's Word, and we, we compare Scripture with Scripture to find out what does that mean. And if Scripture with Scripture doesn't reveal it, then we say, I don't know. So please don't do prophecy by imagination. You, you can imagine, if you want to imagine a little bit, in another age before nukes, what did they say that was? Well, that's the Gatling gun. And before that, what was it? It was a whole lot of tomahawks. And before that, what it was? And people are always looking at history and saying, oh, it's that. Oh, it's that. No, that was wrong. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's this. Just stop that, all right? Because what we have here is 
well, here we know comparing Scripture with Scripture, it's for real. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And I'm going to show you a whole lot of the other Scriptures, more than you want to see, that indicate to us this is for real. In fact, some of you, I'm going to show you so many Scriptures on this, and each one has some different nuances, so I don't want to miss one of them. But some of you might go insane today from all these references. Like in weeks to come, we'll come in one day on a Sunday, and you'll be sitting there babbling and drooling, and somebody will say, what happened to him? Oh, he was here for Revelation 21, man. Like, he went crazy, all right? Some of you are going to do that. Well, I'm going to give you a whole boatload to impress upon you what an important theme this is in Scripture and to show you some of the nuances. So let's leave Revelation 21.1. Remember, that's where we are. We're about the new heavens and the new earth, and we're seeing a lot of other references on it so that we'll know this, is, this part's to be taken for real. We know that by comparing Scripture with Scripture. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 17. I'll put it up for you. And it says, God says, for behold. Very often in prophetic portions of Scripture, the word behold is used. Look at this. See this. For behold, says God, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So it's going to be new. Right now you remember things. A lot of them bring pain. Some of them bring, bring pleasure. Remember that time we were at the Outer Banks? Such a beautiful day. Somebody wasn't having a good memory over there. And, and, uh, you know, but, but the former things will not be remembered there. The former things will not come to mind. They won't disturb our extreme pleasure in the presence of God. You won't remember that awful thing. No, that's gone. You won't remember all the horrors and the terrors and the misery and the suffering and the pain and the tears and the crying of planet Earth. No, the former things shall not be remembered. You won't remember the Holocaust. You won't remember World War II. You won't remember Somalia. You won't remember any of that stuff. It won't even come into mind. You won't remember blessed non-memory. Amen? Let's go to Isaiah 66, 22. For, he says, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord. What's the unique nuance? What's the emphasis to this verse? They'll remain. Yeah, so, so this one's temporary, but there comes one that will remain. It'll be there forever and ever and ever and ever, and you and Christ shall be on it forever and ever and ever. And that one never gets rolled up like a scroll. That one never gets burned. Isaiah 66, 22, it remains, and you get to stay on it, in it forever. Peter chimes in, 2 Peter 3, 10, and he says, but the day of the Lord, and I understand that to mean the day when Jesus returns. You have the first advent, you have the second advent. This is a reference to the second advent. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. What does that mean? To, to non-believers who, don't, who aren't looking for it, who don't believe it's going to happen, it's going to take them by total surprise, and it's going to be devastating and scary and destructive. That's like a thief, right? Like if a thief comes to your house, he doesn't send you a note, just let you know. I'm going to be there Thursday at 2 a.m. I'll be busting in your back door just so you, you can be warned. No, they, they come in and they terrify you. And it's dangerous and it's destructive. And that's how it's going to be when the day of the Lord happens. They're not looking for it. They're not expecting it. Remember, they're going to call for the rocks to fall on them and hide them from the presence of the Lamb because it's a fearful thing to fall into His hands when you're unprepared to meet Him. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then, notice what happens, the heavens will pass away with a roar. What a roar that must be. A couple weeks back, actually it was July 3rd. I wonder if any of you experienced this. I'm sitting in my house reading, and I kept hearing and seeing out the window A-10 warthogs flying around, doing loops over my house. Just go, and they have this whistle, you know, when they, when they go past you. I love those things, man. I think they are so cool. And they're out there flying. I went out and stood in our parking lot. Just I'm watching. There's two of them doing these loops. They're up on the side like that. And a roar. That's a beanie little roar. Right. When the heavens pass away, they're going to pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies, all of them, billions of them, will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Every deed done in the body will come to light on that day. We will all give an account before the judge of all the heavens and all the earth. So everything burns up. Everything's dissolved. We're in the presence of God. You'll be there. And everything you've ever done will come to light. That's what will happen on that day. Don't let it overtake you like a thief. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly because you love the day. Peter goes on, 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12. Has anybody gone insane yet? You hanging in there with me? All right, 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people? Oh, are you that sort? What sort of people ought you to be? What's he mean? In lives of holiness and godliness, because you know this is where it's all going, because you understand the last day, because you're looking for it and hastening it, it changes you. That does things to you. You can't hold that truth and not battle your temptations, like Steve in the video we saw. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, and he adds more, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. You're waiting for it. Tap you on the, I'm going to tap every one of you on the shoulder after church. going to walk up to you, Elizabeth, and I'm going to tap you on the shoulder and say, what are you doing? And the answer is waiting. Johnny, I'm going to tap you on the shoulder. What are you doing, Johnny? Waiting. Right? You heard of ladies in waiting. We're Christians in waiting. We spend all our time here waiting. Yeah, God gives us all things richly to enjoy while we're here. We don't despise them. They, they matter. They mean something. They're wonderful. But they're all very, very temporary, and they're all very fleeting. Your life is a, like a breath, a vapor, and it's, here it's gone, and it's, it's here and it's gone. So what are we really doing? We're waiting. I'm spending my whole life waiting. I'm like Abraham. He, was, he came out of his land to go to Canaan land, but he really looked right through it, and he wanted a, he wanted a place that has a building whose foundations and builder and maker are made by God. That's what he, he wanted. He's really waiting for that. And we're waiting, but not just that. He ups the ante. We're waiting and hastening. How are we hastening? By lives of holiness and godliness, by leading friends to Jesus Christ, by praying, Lord Jesus, come quickly. So we're actually waiting and hastening. We're not like, well, I'm sort of waiting. I'm not really hastening because, um, you know, I want to finish college first. Like, that would be better. 
Like, Lord, come, but not till September. We're, we're going to Outer Banks in September for two weeks. You know, wait till after that, please. Uh, I'm getting married in October, so, you know, Lord, come, but not too quickly. I want to get married first. I'm starting a new job, so, Lord, we're buying a house. So, Lord, I just got the car in my dreams. So, Lord, please, you know, I'm, I'm waiting, but I'm not waiting real hard. No, 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 no. We understand the comparative, those are good gifts. They're not to be despised. We don't sneer at them. God gives them to us richly to enjoy. But we look at them and say, junk, temporary, and I'm really waiting for that. And I'm not just waiting, but I'm, I'd be eager if it hurries up. I'd be glad if it hurries up. We are hastening the coming of the day of God. That's what manner of people we are when we know these things. Are you waiting are you living your life like in waiting? Like, Lord, when are you coming? Oh, Lord, come quickly. I know. Save my unsaved son first, right? Yeah. Lord, come quickly, but may I, all my children be in you first. And my grandchildren. I, I get that. I get that. But come. And then Peter goes on, 2 Peter 3, 12 and 13. Because of which, that day, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. Here's Peter's unique and wonderful contribution. In which righteousness dwells. Yes. It just, like, righteousness pops up every now and then here. All right? It dwells like through and through and everything and every bit. And you never go, oh, that wasn't right. No, everything's always right. Righteousness dwells. You're waiting for a place where righteousness dwells and there's no injustice and there's no crime. So there really will be such a place. There are lots of scriptures that indicate to us that John, what John sees here in his vision is not to be taken symbolically now, but literally there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Let's read the verse again, Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea, the sea, hmm, and, and, the, and the sea, the sea was no more. You're like, hmm. Really? Like, is there, is there a difference in manuscripts? Is there one manuscript that still has the sea? Because I kind of like, I want to go to heaven and have the sea. You know, one of my favorite places on earth, as you're saying, is I like the beach. I like hanging out on the sand and the sun and the waves. No, heaven? No, now I'm not so sure. There are some things you need to know about this phrase. And the sea was no more. The sea in the book of Revelation, that's a slide, you can put it up, and in the Old Testament and in first century Hebrew understanding, communicated some things other than what you think. Like in prophetic literature, the sea, or even non-prophetic literature, the sea represents the origin of cosmic evil. For example, in Revelation 12, 17, the dragon is standing on the edge of the sea. In Revelation 13, the beast comes out of the sea. It's like this. If you were in Israel in old times, you had treaties with your land partners, but what's going to come from the sea? like if you were in England when the Vikings invade, they come from the sea. You were okay in England, but what's going to come out of the sea? And so the sea has always been a source of evil, a source of problem. Like in America, if we get attacked, it's probably not coming from Mexico. 
Probably not coming from Canada. It's going to come from the sea, all right? So that's what this is talking about. It's the origin of cosmic evil, not just earthly evil. Secondly, the sea in the book of Revelation represents the unbelieving, rebellious nations that persecute God's people. Again and again, we find they come from the sea. Or thirdly, the primary location, the sea in Revelation indicates the primary location of the world's idolatrous trade activity. All these people who despise Christ and persecute Christians and grow gigantic enormously wealthy, they do it via international trade, and that's the sea. So maybe what John is saying is there can be no more cosmic evil, no more rebellious nations persecuting God's people, and no more worldwide idolatrous trade activity. Maybe that's what he's getting at, but I have to tell you, the word the sea also means the sea. It just means the sea. Maybe no sea in heaven. The former things will be forgotten and will be remembered no more. You won't miss the sea. You'll have the Lamb of God. But I admit, I feel a tug in my heart like I kind of would like a beach in heaven. This reminds me of another passage, another thing we're told won't be in heaven. This is a bit of an aside. Hang with me. Another thing we won't be in heaven is we won't be married, right? I have trouble with it. I'm hoping that somehow we got that wrong and scholars are going to discover, like, don't trust scholars when they're rediscovering what a verse really means. But, but I, I kind of hope somehow we got that wrong. Because I just can't imagine, like, after, what, 46 years being married to my girl and, Lord willing, more before the Lord comes, maybe. Come quickly, Lord. But I can't imagine, like, I'm going to bump into her a thousand years into heaven and I'm just supposed to go, like, oh, I don't know you. Like, can I even just, like, Wink at her. I remember you, baby. You were my girl. Remember that? We sit down and talk about it. Can't we? Like, I'm having a hard time figuring out how heaven works without me being especially near to her somehow, right? So I'm kind of hoping we're wrong, but I think we're probably right. But the former things are remembered no more. It'll be okay. So what have we seen? There's a new heavens and a new earth, probably with no sea. And followers of Jesus Christ are going there. And what happens if you become a Christian? You'll go there. That's where you'll spend eternity in in eternal conscious joy and bliss and glory in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the holy angels, and all the people who have followed God through Jesus Christ all down through time. And you'll get to be part of that number. Okay, John sees more. Let's go on. You ready? Verse 2, Revelation 21, 2. And I saw the holy city. This is going to be interesting. New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So here's John. He's in the vision. Old heavens and, ho- old, heavens and old earth, psh, gone away. New heavens and new earth, psh, come into being. And then he's looking at them, and this thing comes down out of heaven from God and is headed down to land on the new earth. And what is it? It's the holy city, new Jerusalem. So it's not the old Jerusalem. It's a new Jerusalem. It's coming down out of heaven from God. It's prepared, here's a clue, as a bride. That's going to come up some more here in the text, comparing Scripture with Scripture. We'll get at the meaning of that. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So what's that mean? Well, have you ever seen a bride adorned for her husband? She's probably not in bib overalls. West Virginia maybe, but probably, you know. 
Like, she's all decked out, man. She's got her hair. She's all professionally made up. She's, like, had this thing carefully fitted, and it's got the long thing behind it and the veil thing and all. And you're like, wow. I, like, I'll stand there and whisper to the guy before she comes in, you have never seen her look so good. Like, I'm amping him up, you know. You just wait, man. Keep breathing. Don't fall down on me here, you know. I'm telling him all this stuff. It's kind of fun. A bride. And this this. This new Jerusalem coming down is like that. Like, you have never seen a place like this. It is so decked out. It is so gorgeous. It is so beautiful. And an angel says to John, Revelation 21, 9 and 10, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So he says, there's a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down, prepared as a bride. Then he says, let me show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he showed me, and that was the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Are you following all that? So what it's saying is, when he sees the new Jerusalem coming down to the new earth, the new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ, which is what? Ephesians 5. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. All whom he purchased with his blood. And he sees them coming down out of heaven, all decked out, all adorned for her husband. Hmm, interesting. Something said back in chapter 19 sheds further light on this whole holy city, New Jerusalem bride thing. Look back at Revelation 19, 7. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. That's when we, his blood-bought people, get joined to him. And his bride, that's us, has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So there's a holy city. It's the new Jerusalem. It's the wife. It's the bride of the Lamb. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. John sees it, all the redeemed of all time, represented by that, coming down onto the new earth in the new heavens. And we're married why I won't miss you so bad, baby girl. I'll be married to him, right? We'll be the bride. He'll be the groom. It'll be okay. I'm still going to wink at you. And we'll be gorgeous in holiness and married to Jesus Christ, so close, so tightly bound to him in covenant union. He is our God. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pastor and shall be forever and ever and ever. So John sees this. So first there's a, the old heavens and earth pass away. The new heavens and earth come. Then he sees all the people of God come down. They're the new Jerusalem. They're the bride of Christ. They're his wife. And there's a marriage supper and we're bound to him forever and ever and ever and ever. And then what else do we learn about heaven? Revelation 3.12. We're going all the way down to verse 12 now. Revelation 3.12. And and he says, the one who conquers, we'll come back to that word, I will make him a pillar. Like, you won't just be there, but you'll be nothing. No, you conquer, we'll come back to that word, and you're going to be a pillar in the temple of my God, made with living stones. And never, the one who conquers, never shall he go out of it. You'll be with Christ forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He'll never kick you out. You'll never mess it up. He's locking you in grace. You'll never sin. You'll never sin your way out of that place. 
never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him. Remember this from chapter 7? John sees in his vision, hey, I can tell who the Christians are. They're all sealed. They have a name of the Father or of the Son on their forehead. I can pick them out in my vision. Here we come back to that. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. So all the believers have the name of God the Father and God the Son and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the vision written on their heads. doesn't mean you're going to have that name on your head forever and ever and ever, all right? So now we're back into some symbolic. But who gets this? The one who conquers. Conquers what? Conquers Satan and his temptations. Conquers the fiery darts. Conquers especially the persecution that would make you say, well, I'm done with this. I'm going back. If this is the way he treats his people, I'm done with him. I'm not walking with Christ anymore. No, the one who conquers and keeps on believing and keeps on following and keeps on repenting and keeps on trusting, you're going to be a pillar. You'll never be chased out, and you're going to spend eternity belonging to God. That's what the name represents. You're going to spend eternity belonging to him. Conquerors is a theme in the book of Revelation. That's why one of the best commentaries on the book is titled, More Than Conquerors. Seventeen times the word conquerors is used in chapters 2, 3, 6, 11, 12, 13, 15, 17, and here 21. We conquer, we conquer. How do we conquer? Because God has put his Holy Spirit within within us, and he causes us to persevere and keep following Jesus Christ. And you have a new heart, a regenerate soul. And you believe on the Lord Jesus, and you keep believing on him, and you keep repenting when you fail, and never will you go out of the church. Once you're really in the church, you're in the church forever. So, we've seen all that, but wait, there's more. Revelation 21.3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Notice the terms, God, 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 he, 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 he. And then the preposition with, eight times, with, 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 in this and surrounding verse, eight times. The word dwell, two times. He will dwell with them. The dwelling place of God is with man. So this is about God, he, with, 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 dwelling with us. What do we learn about heaven? In heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be a change of God's dwelling place. Right now it's back in Revelation chapter 5. It's the throne room. And down below is the earth. But when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, the throne comes down onto the earth, and God dwells with us in his immediate presence. The apostle John says, beloved, we don't know what we'll be like yet, but we know this. When we see him, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. We're going to be like him. We're going to see him. We're going to see the Lord Jesus. We're going to be like him, and we'll dwell in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. Heaven is being with God forever. If you don't like that idea of heaven, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. In heaven, the big attraction is this. 
You will be with God. You'll be his people. He will be our God. This is the big tent in heaven. Not fishing, not this amazing house, not a place to feed all our lusts, not the Muslim harem. No, it's God. It's the Lamb. It's the Father. It's the Son. It's the Holy Spirit. Heaven is about being with God. I finally get to be with him. Let me say this. If the big attraction in your life right now is the Lamb, You'll love heaven. Heaven's very lamby. You're going to get close to the lamb. It's when you finally get to be with God. What else will heaven be like? Let's bring it down home stretch with Revelation 21.4. And he will wipe away. Famous verse. What a verse. He, he will wipe away every tear. You ever had tears? I had some tears on Friday. I won't tell you why. I had some tears. You ever had any tears through your whole life? Lots of tears, right? Anybody here never cried any tears? What, what kind of beast are you? He will wipe away like God has a great big hanky box. And as you're coming into heaven, he pulls one out, wipes your eyes. Next one, wipes your eyes. Next one, wipes your eyes. Wipes all the tears. And death shall be no more. Right now, a couple we've known since the early 80s. She's dying. Debbie's going over there once or twice a week, just helping out. She's in the hospital right now. She's coming home again. Debbie's giving the husband rides, and she's dying. Her brain is going away, and so her body's going away. And we're watching this dear old friend that we've known and loved since the 80s, watching her die. Soon her husband's going to be all alone. He's going to be one lost soul, because they've been married longer than us. They're in their 50 years somewhere. But death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Does that sound pretty good? No more pain. For the former things have passed away. That's what it's like in heaven. Read it and weep with joy. No more tears. I like that. Crying is all over. Heaven, let me tell you, heaven is better than paying $45,000 over the asking price for a townhome. Amen? Our third son and his wife, they're first-time home buyers. Well, they've been trying. They just gave up, got an apartment, which was overpriced. But they've been trying and trying and trying and trying to buy a house, and they'll bid like $25,000 over, and they don't get the house. So finally they thought, all right, let's try a townhouse. So they bid on a townhouse. Somebody else bought it $45,000 over, paid in cash. Now I'm getting off topic. What are you supposed to do if you have $150,000 in school debt and now you're trying to buy a house that's $45,000 over the asking? Like, buy a tent, man. Buy a tent and wait it out. Heaven is better than paying $45,000 above asking price for a used townhome. The former things have passed away. Put some flowers on the grave of tears, on the grave of death, on the grave of mourning. They've passed away. Note, by the way, these terms are all used, all these things about that have passed away. They're used in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 51. And in both of those, it adds that this will be a time of, here's the term, everlasting exaltation, and it adds, and joy. So all those things pass away, and what you get in exchange is everlasting exaltation. And everlasting joy. You say, where do I sign up? 
the cross of Jesus Christ. What's it cost? Nothing. He paid it in full. Amen, brother. You just keep talking, and I'll just have a sermon. You know, I'll just preach. All right? It's paid. How do I obtain it? The empty hands of repentance and faith. You simply, with empty hand, you're offering God nothing, but you're turning from your way to his way, and faith, you're believing on the Lord Jesus Christ that you may be saved by his shed blood. And by that, you are granted the gift of everlasting life, and you'll be in this heaven forever and ever and ever. Now in closing, yes, that's your cue. Now in closing, I'm going to switch briefly to God's gracious invitation to this heaven. There are many passages in the Bible where God invites people, but I'm going to go to just three of them. I love them. We're going to start in the Old Testament, and in Isaiah 55, God says this, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat, Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And that, my friend, is how you get into that heaven. You just hear the voice of God calling you and you come to the cross of Jesus Christ and without money, without anything you offer, none of your own gifts, none of your righteousness, none of your contributions, you simply believe on the Lord Jesus. Jesus uses the same term in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, where he says, come, Come unto me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, come, I'll give you rest. And in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Revelation twenty-two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Paid for, purchased for all who will believe by the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing could be more clear. The the God of the Bible freely invites you to come to Jesus Christ and freely to receive the gift of the pardon of all your trespasses and everlasting life. It's been purchased by the Lamb who shed his blood in your behalf. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for giving us your word, the scriptures that that give light for our souls. We pray for people in this room, people listening with us elsewhere who have not yet come to Jesus Christ that he may be their God and their Savior. We pray that you will draw them by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will draw them by your living and active and sharp word digging into their hearts and their souls. We pray that you will draw them to the Savior where they will look up to him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe on you. I want you to be my God, my Savior, my Lord, my Sovereign. Please, please have mercy upon a guilty sinner like me. Please, may I have that gift of everlasting life. Please, by your grace, may I go to that heaven. Turn to the Savior, to the Lord Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, many of us have. May we all spend our days, what manner of people should we be? Holy and godly, waiting and hastening the day.
Lord Jesus, captivate our souls, have our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.